Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of On the Pod, My Lord, with me, James Rushton. Today, I'm joined by Adam Clark, as usual. How are you doing, Adam? Hi, James. Great to be here. Looking forward, well, enjoying already some international competition and looking forward to the Euros. Yeah, of course. The uh, the sun's in the air. Barbecues are out, except for in Birmingham, because there's been a bit of flooding. Um, and the bunting's out, of course. That can only mean one thing, and England are participating in a major international tournament once again. Well, I, I thought it was because it was the Queen's birthday. It's the Queen's birthday this weekend, I think. Oh, that's, why, that's why my village has the bunting out anyway. But you know. ah, of course. Well, I assume the car flags are to do with England because they always come out, don't they? The car flags, the old stick them in the window and hope you don't get broken into, and they're just flying around in the air. But yeah, uh, it's summer. It's a, you know the gap between the World Cup. That can only mean one thing, and that is. It's a European Championship. England might have a chance. Who knows? Um, it's the year of the underdog, as we know from Leicester. Unfortunately, that comes at the you know the detriment to some teams, like our own Aston Villa, who are going through a, a takeover and have appointed a pretty respectable manager. What do you think about that, Adam? Yeah, so a lot. Yeah, lots happened since we last recorded. So uh, we're being taken over by Dr. Tony Jia and his Chinese recon group. Um, so very happy, very happy now that we've got Roberto Di Matteo in and Steve Clark is his assistant manager, which might sometimes I get annoyed when people say like the assistant manager might be more important than the manager because it almost never is. I mean, look what happened yeah. with Rory Keane. Oh. <laughs> yeah. um, but at the same time, it, that, that's make it, making me feel a lot better about this takeover. Um, you know, I'm sure you'll you'll probably have a couple of things to say uh, about people's worries uh, about the about the takeover. All I could say is it's looking good at the moment. We've got a decent manager in. Uh, we've got a decent backroom staff. That's a big thing. So uh, hopefully we're going to see some progress on moving some of the players out. Yeah, of course. Um, there's a lot of wasters at Aston Villa right now, and the impetus is on removing them, which is hard. You know, easier said than done when we've uh, chucked a load of contracts, long-term contracts at these guys. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's, like Aston Villa's takeover, there's nothing that we as Villa fans can do about that situation. So it's kind of live and let live about all of that. And that includes if Villa's takeover falls through. Um, if it does fall through, it's for, it's for you know certain reasons and it can only be a positive. If it does go through and the owners are dodgy, then again, there's nothing we can do about that. So I think it's time to chill out and, let, you know, let be what will, you know, let, let it yeah. all happen. Yeah, take I mean, it all in. On on a quick note on that, so I think it's fair to be a little bit worried. Um, of course, yeah. You know, obviously a couple of stories came out about possibly the money wasn't there, and yeah. now we've heard the money is there, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I think where where perhaps some worries I do think are quite legitimate were talking about some of the middlemen who might be involved in this deal. Of course, yeah, it does look from the outset that there are a bunch of crooks involved. To be completely <laughs> Well, um, this this was what I was going to address. So, firstly, I think who were the worries about there about Christopher Samuelson, who'd previously been involved in a Reading deal, yeah. and then Wyness, wasn't it? He he was the Everton. Everton. Well, yeah, Wyness. Um, there there wasn't a, a lot of negative said about that. More average, which is kind of weird. It just looks like someone who settled in with this group of potentially money launderers, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. without, um, without chucking those strong terms. Um, and there's also Gary Cook, who hasn't got the greatest reputation in English football either. So very, quite concerning. Not, I wouldn't be extremely concerned, um, but there's something to worry about, uh, certainly. You don't know, we don't know who these people are. And with the unknown, as we know, if people coming from China where, you know, there's a great firewall, we can't access information there. We don't know what is going on. Um, so, you know, when when someone like Tony Shear comes out, who we actually know nothing about, and he's yeah. uh, he's his board, who we know bits about but don't know the whole picture, it is worrying. We don't know where Villa can go, and I think that's pretty much the position we're all in now, where a lot of us are hoping for the best and a lot of us are fearing for the worst. Yeah, I think you can only take it on what we know, and there's a couple of yeah. questions you've got to ask. Firstly, is the money there? money does seem to be there bbc seems to have confirmed that the money the money is being paid then you've just got to ask does the deal does the deal make sense and it does you know there's there's a big hunger in china for football right now you know it looks like dr sanjir has been looking around for a football club to purchase for a little while now yeah and as much as the attention kind of gets shoved onto you know guys like roman abramovich or 
and the guys in charge at Man City. So, you know, people just throwing money at football clubs. I think we've got to realise now that actually in the modern, you know, in the modern English football world, a football club is quite a sensible investment if you can get it to the Premier League. Yeah, of course. I mean, the reputation of the Premier League precedes itself. Um, but Aston Villa for 60 to 100 million is a bargain. Um, a yeah, club absolutely. that owns I mean, their own stadium, you know, in the heart of England, second city. Amazing. Swansea, who just got sold for 110 million. I yeah, think even that, that was the yeah. value. That was the valuation um, for the American takeover that that just happened over there. So, so long as you assume that Dr. Tony Gia, you know, his interest is in making this as an actual real financial investment. Well, the only way that it's going to benefit him is if he gets us to the Premier League. You know, there's yeah. no money. There's no money to take out of this club. Um, yep. You know, the only way you make profit out of running a football club is if you get it back to the Premier League. Yeah, of course. Um, so in that sense, you know, what he wants and what the fans wants coincide. Yeah, and I mean, these guys, Samuelson, Cook, Wynas, they could be involved in this just for the money. They could just be there just to reap the benefits of a massive taking, takeover going through their help. Um, yeah, we I mean, know, you've got to just... Yeah. I think we've just got to take these guys as serial middlemen, you know? Yeah. And the question isn't about the middleman. The question is about the man on the other end of the deal. Exactly, and that might... The people they previously worked with may have been at fault. And um, we, we know with Reading, uh, their Russian owner was pretty dodgy. And he it may have been a case that he dragged Samuelson down with him rather than Samuelson being a big part of this because, we frankly, we don't know the full picture. And I think we've yeah. pretty much got a... We can't... I don't think there's many, much more to drag out of this, unfortunately, because it is a major topic and that's a sad thing. that it, This is such a big topic that we've all been waiting for that we can't yeah. really talk you know, about. And that's a real shame, to be honest. You want to enjoy yeah, these things? Yeah, it's quite difficult. Well, let's move on and talk about the happy idea of what players we should ship out and what players we could get in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, of course, Roberto Di Matteo is now Aston Villa's manager, and that is one thing that is confirmed yeah. that we can talk about. Absolutely. Champions he, League winning manager. Yeah, and, you know, what? who else could you ask for? Yeah. Um, despite people wanting Nigel Pearson, Steve Bruce, you know, these are all pretty good candidates. They aren't the cherry on the pie that Di Matteo is. Someone who comes into this having won an FA Cup and a Champions League, and frankly, you don't win the Champion Champions League against Bayern Munich in their backyard by accident. As a yeah, bit and of... perhaps almost almost more importantly, not quite more importantly than the fact that he's Champions League winning manager. He's also a Championship promotion winning manager. Exactly. You know, he took up he took up West Brom when he was with them, uh, so he does have experience in this league. Yeah, uh, he does get a bit of flack for his time with Schalke. Uh, I think it's a bit unfair. Um, the fan he he has adapted his football three different times for three different clubs. He isn't someone who's set in his ways, and he isn't naive. Um, he does get a lot of flack for his time with Schalke, but I don't think that's an environment where just anyone can succeed. Um, it is a bit of an unstable club to say the best behind the scenes. Uh, pretty much like Aston Villa, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, he he's going to come in with a, t- a selection of targets, whether this takeover goes through or not. And uh, it does look like Villa can afford, afford these, even if Tony Shear isn't the man to guide Villa into the future. Uh, yeah, so initial targets, looks like we're in the hunt for a striker. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, there's uh, Will Grigg, recently a hot shot of League One coming through coming through the ranks there. Um, he was a Villa fan when he was a kid before moving on to Birmingham City when he didn't receive the love that he wanted from his uh, hometown club. But yeah, and uh, Dwight Gale as well is another interesting option for uh, Aston Villa. Yeah, and the other two that have been talked about are um, Patrick Bramford, uh, previously, uh, well, Chelsea Loney, but previously he scored 17 goals for Middlesbrough uh, in a championship season there. And also Ross McCormack, uh, who's been banging them in for Fulham for a little while now. Uh, yeah. So it looks like we're after what you know one pretty a pretty well defined thing, which is a championship proven striker, uh, with the possible exception there of Dwight Gale, but obviously he's had some experience in the Premier League. Of course, um, yeah. And it looks like we're willing to splash the cash on whoever it is as well. It looks like we're willing to to try and poach someone else's star. Yeah, I mean Villa do need reinforcements. I don't necessarily need them in every single area of the team, but it would be good to get at least one person in defence, midfield, and attack, just so we can at least stabilise next year um, and that is if Tony Shear's takeover doesn't go through because if that does go through um, I'm fully with the idea that Villa will splash the cash and get it in a full renovation of the team um, someone that uh, Villa wanted uh, 
Spurs Myhill. It fits the um, the the charter for Randy Lerner signing. He's a cheap. He's an unwanted by his current club, and he's got a fair bit of experience. But it's not exciting, and I think Villa fans do yearn for the excitement that maybe a Dwight Gale or a Will Grigg could bring. Yeah, I mean, Boris Mahil, he suffers from being a goalkeeper. You know, it's it's hard to get excited about a goalkeeper unless it's not. Oh, no, you can't. Not. No, um, I think so. I got excited about Brad Friedel, um, but that was more because he was American, I think. I was really <laughs> and Brad Guzan, I was really excited about Brad Guzan. We all know how that turned out. Yeah, that... unfortunately, yeah, Boris Myhill, as uh, as was pointed out on a article on our site, seventy five hundred told, uh, is US born. Unfortunately, not bold. So <laughs> he was once upon a time, but he can grow that hair back. Uh, he isn't suffering from the male pattern baldness that someone of a like a Brad Guzan suffers from. And uh, funnily enough, speaking of a Brad Guzan, another major summer tournament is going on, Adam. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So this is the uh, Copa America. Uh, so this is the tournament that is traditionally the tournament for the South American countries. Uh, they're doing their 100-year anniversary. So they've done a special expanded tournament uh, up in the USA. And they've also invited a fair number of the CONCACAF teams, uh, so teams from North and Central America, to join in. Uh, so that's well underway. Have you been watching it, James? Um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to watch much. I did catch a bit of the USA uh, winning against Costa Rica. Uh, but unfortunately, that was about the gist of it because it is the different time zones and getting to work. It is reminiscent of that 2002 World Cup when we all had to wake up at like 6 or 5 a.m. just to catch England versus uh, yeah. Nigeria. I remember that those days fondly at school. But yeah, um, it's a massive tournament taking place just in the United States. And it, there are rumours that it, that possibly could be a future plan for the tournament. But it is a, a step in the right direction for those two uh, football groups, the CONCACAF and Commodore. Um, who manage South America and North America. It does seem like a good thing to do to get these two playing together um, to improve the standard of football up north. Yeah, it's been an interesting tournament. Um, you know, I think there's been some complaints about uh, some stadiums being a little bit empty because of high ticket prices. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we've seen some great great support for the USA and great support for Mexico, of course, as well. I, I think of playing almost like being at home. And we've got two Villa representatives. So that is the aforementioned Brad Guzan. Uh, the USA didn't get off to a great start, did they? Did you see? Did you see what they started off with? Uh, I believe they lost, didn't they? Um, I f- think they lost because it seems surprising that they can go <laughs> through a loss and a win. Um, they did. They they started off with a pretty <laughs> limp, a pretty limp two 0 loss to Colombia, I believe. Oh dear! Uh, but um, you know, Colombia, mm. they aren't a bad team, are they? Uh, no, no, absolutely you know, not. Uh, you know. Like a- they they have got James who you know was the star of that last World Cup so and a star of that terrific headline the name is James James Rodriguez but it's not <laughs> even how you say it <laughs> no, you don't say yeah. it like James Bond but yeah cultural divides be damned um, we all always people will always call him James regardless but uh, James Rodriguez star of the last World Cup as well um, is uh, currently tearing it up as well as uh, one Filipe Coutinho Coutinho, Coutinho I, I'm really struggling with his uh, Latin American names um, so, and uh, of course the subtitle of the tournament Adam which you, uh, d- you refrained from mentioning the, is it the 100th edition how do you say that it is so this is the Copa America Centenario yeah you've got to show that off more <laughs> yeah so I, I have a special interest because uh, I, I recently spent two years in Chile uh, teaching English out there so uh, I'm, I'm now a keen fan of La Roja as the Chilean national team is known um, who are themselves unfortunately struggling a little bit just just slumped to a 2-0 loss in their uh, no a 2-1 loss in their early game against Argentina um, a Messi-less Argentina as well which was oh, wow. embarrassing of course yeah um I mean, Argentina's their style of football is more... I feel it's more reminiscent of a European style. It's quite heavy without Messi, of course, who's a little dances between his uh, foes on the pitch. And other teams well, have yeah. to give him a bit of a kicking, really. But, uh, yeah, we've certainly seen a bit more physical style of play from an Argentina team without their uh, main main weapon. Well, yeah, I mean, they do always have Mascherano, and he, he's never afraid of sticking the boot in. So, uh, currently, <laughs> we know that too well. Current favourites are Argentina, um, who, as I said, just got through their hardest group in their in the first round, through their hardest match in their in their group against Chile, um, and then surprise looks like surprise dark horses at the moment are Mexico, uh, who are enjoying lots and lots of support, obviously in the USA, um, and are playing pretty well. And they've got um, Chicharito Hernandez, uh, you know, recently of Manchester United. 
Of course, yeah. Um, it's a shame, really, that Mexico haven't they haven't really kicked on in an international stage. Uh, they're pretty much the same can be said of the United States and even a team like England. These teams have massive footballing and soccer support and a massive base of players, and they never seem to get it together and be able to cross the hurdle in these major tournaments. Yeah, um, a couple of teams in crisis. Um, Brazil, uh, <laughs> not a team who are playing. They've just done. I mean, they have just fresh uh, Haiti. I think seven one. Uh, so looking on track in that respect. I take um, a bit of delight in that. I think in uh, Brazil failing. I remember David Luiz uh, kind of gifting Germany about six or seven goals uh, two years ago, <laughs> uh, yeah. trying to be the best player on the pitch and really really chucking it down the wall so i don't know i think i just got something against david Luiz, um but <laughs> it does remind me a yeah. bit of side a bit scary um childhood memories flashbacks and all that but yeah um brazil's time on the international stage could it be coming to an end it's a difficult one um so their manager dunga obviously brazilian football legend um but he struggled struggled as manager um, so Philippe Coutinho did star in that victory, but he's only just been allowed into the side. He's been fighting for a long time to try and yes. make it into that first team. Someone like Marcelo, uh, who's an amazing, you know, a fullback, wingback player, who's very technically gifted. Um, I believe didn't he, didn't he not even make it into this team? Uh... I remember hearing about that, and I was like, well, surely. And this is something I believe we'll talk about with Guzan in a second. Mm. That people are just picked just because. Just simply because they they're the common, you know, they were they're the law. Brad Guzan has been around the international fold for a number of years now, and even if there's better keepers in the MLS, he'll be picked. And uh, I think that happened with Marcelo. Well, yeah, I mean, I th- I'm sure we can have a we can when we get onto the Euros, we can have a pretty good discussion about what is it <laughs> that you should select on uh, for international team selection. It's always a difficult one. Do you select on form? Do you select on you know proven ability within the team? Do you select on them fitting your certain shape? It's a really difficult question. I don't think it's anyone that anyone has ever answered successfully. Yeah. Uh, one that Brazil was struggling with. But yeah, if anyone is uh, an insomniac or you know just really loves football so much they do want to stay up till you know three o'clock watching it. Then do try and catch the Copa America Centenario. It's going on at the moment. It's an interesting question. I mean, arguably, um, considering the success of South American teams in the last World Cup, apart from obviously that Germany-Brazil incident, um, (laughs) you know, arguably the best sides in the world are playing in that tournament. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for that because uh, as we'll move on to soon, the Euros are wide open, blown down the middle. I mean, it, it really is a tournament that anyone should be able to win in relative even terms yeah even england uh but the cup of america i mean uh surely there's only one team that can win that and that's possibly argentina uh yeah i mean argentina mexico if, you know if if brazil clicked in one moment you you kind of hope that they they might get something and colombia are looking strong at the moment as well so there's a couple of interesting I mean, matches uh lining something up to there. say uh i mean we experience this in england this optimism but uh the united states they can't win surely I mean, the 4-0 win over Costa Rica uh, that they just got to recover, Promising, from, yeah. Promising. recover, from, their, recover from that loss against Colombia. Uh, and Guzan made a couple of good saves in that, in that game as well. And, you know, looked, looked more competent than he, had, than he did for Villa this season. It's really difficult, though, to see this United States team uh, getting, you know, even, even the semi-final would be a huge achievement for them, to be honest. Yeah, uh, and I mean... It's a bit of a dampener after that promising 2014 World Cup where they did so well, especially against a team like Belgium who were really knocking on the door in the best, probably one of the best nil-nils ever. Um, when Tim Howard pulled out a record number of saves in the World Cup match uh, just, to, just to keep them in it. it really brought <laughs> someone like DeAndre Yedlin and uh, others to, to the fold. And uh, It doesn't look like that hype is really, really, truly delivered, which is very unfortunate for a, a place where football is really, really emerging, especially to hold such a major tournament with such hype. And it is a shame. I hope uh, if Jack uh, Grimsey or Robert are listening to this, I'm sorry to you know put the blinders on your <laughs> team. But we'll do it in a second with England, so... I think it's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're under any illusions. Uh, those two. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think it would it would obviously be good good for the tournament and uh, and good for the game as well to see the US uh, emerge emerge in a big way. I've got to say, I'm a little bit doubtful about this possible plan to hold it all the time in the USA. 
you know, I think that would be very harsh, very harsh on a couple yeah, of South it's American very teams. Very unfair. Uh, but uh, the US is built on a number of sports that are, are locked. Um, you, you know, the NFL has to rely on money to expand into new markets. Same with the MLB. Uh, if it does expand, teams close down, teams are stolen and moved. Um, <laughs> it's you know it is a place that does rely on it being very locked down and who knows maybe it is for the benefit of the Copa America to be held in a place with the you know a real strong sporting infrastructure as long as they can keep the ticket prices fair and the fans happy but yeah it is a it is a bit unfair I mean this is the problem you ask you're asking oblivion football fans to travel to the United States and pay a hundred dollars for a ticket yeah no, yeah, it's just not going to happen, you know. And the only way that the only way that some of these teams ever get to see international football. So, I mean, this was something I had in my experience with Chile. Okay. I mean, the football culture there is fanatic, absolutely fanatic. Um, but the league football is pretty terrible. So, Colo Colo is that the one? Or uh, yeah, Colo Colo are the big are the big champions uh, yeah, at the yeah. moment, and there's a couple of other teams, Universidad de Chile as well. Um, but even then, you've got to say that on a, you know, it's it would be generous to say it was championship level football, some of this. Yeah, and it is a, it is that, that kind of imperialism where these big countries can go, hang on, this is our tournament now. And, you know, the money doesn't, the money charged for the tickets doesn't equate to other countries. Um, you know, there's certainly poorer European countries that may be locked out of attending the Euros. But that's definitely the case for some of these South American teams that have exactly. to fly miles to central northern america and, and uh, uh one of the great for a hotel in chicago one of the great things about the Copa america as well is that uh you know teams like bolivia teams like ecuador they can actually do pretty well especially when it's hosted uh in their countries just because normally they take them up to about four thousand meters up a mountain and uh, <laughs> turns out no one else can play football at four thousand meters up a mountain no um, no so, um, so they have, I think almost all the big sides in, in South America have been champions of, of the Copa America. So It's a very promising tournament and it, I, I do hope that it is, uh, its future continues as is. And, and indeed, uh, it is the oldest international tournament. Interesting fact. Yeah. Trivia for all of you out there. Do you, do you know what tournament shut down so that the Copa America is now the oldest tournament? Ooh. Go on. Answer, answer lies close to home. Would it be? I don't even know. I can't think. You can't. It is the Home Nations Championship. Of course, the when England, Scotland, uh, Wales, and everyone else used to have a kickabout, ferocious <laughs> kickabout. <laughs> England, <laughs> Scotland, Wales, and everyone else. There's only one team it could possibly be. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, but, uh, Northern Ireland. So do all of our Northern Irish listeners out there. Um, my granddad's Northern Irish, so uh, <laughs> whoo, hope he is. <laughs> but yeah, um. That resurrected for about a season, then shut down because they didn't want England to play in it or something. There was there's a lot of politics behind that, probably yeah. to do with the Olympic team. Um, but yeah, but anyway, yeah. So that left the Copa America, and as we say, Centenario edition being played now, um, 2019. That's going to Brazil, so they will have yet another major football tournament. Yeah, I mean, if you want to learn more about the Copa America and Colombia's strong footballing history, you should read uh, The Ball is Round. It's an absolute tome. It's about 900 pages covering the entirety of football history. And the Colombia chapter is one of the most interesting things I've ever read. It was kind of like this rich person's playground where they there was suddenly an influx of money. All the, the barons and the, the drug cartels bought, fo- bought into football clubs and you know financed them. And they were able to go to these big clubs at the time in England, like Portsmouth and you know, Preston, and buy these you know, young English aristocrats over to South America to play in this hub of just voice. <laughs> where they all had a kick around and suddenly it collapsed. The economy couldn't keep up with it and it collapsed. But it was on top of the world for about two or three years and it was an absolutely incredible little story. Not that uh, we're so suggesting any dark parallel to <laughs> the current situation of the Premier League. Of course not, but uh, yeah, uh, time is a flat circle. It's all repeated <laughs> itself time and time again. But yeah, Colombia's uh, footballing pedigree is amazing to read about. Such the scenarios going on there, the revolutions that went on behind the scenes, amazing stuff. Uh, but moving on to the Euros uh, coming Euros. up tomorrow. Euros uh, 2016. Is it coming yeah. home, James? Is it coming home? We say this every year. Um, we England, little Englanders, are marketed with Mars bars saying "believe" with uh, England flags flying out the side of our cars, only to get to the quarterfinal and lose on the penalty shootout <laughs> every time. There is no country in the world, in my opinion, that takes a football tournament now in so seriously. As England, um, it means the world to us to even 
perform, and that's why not even getting into the 2008 one was a blow to Steve McLaren's career. Um, we fell we fell apart in the last the last match against Croatia, and that's been pretty much a story for England's international career ever since. Um, there's not been much promise, but that could be changing. Yeah, this year, this year is an optimism. Good crop of young players uh, coming through. You know, uh, especially I think we've got to look at look at the Tottenham players, Harry Kane and uh, Deli Ali and uh, Eric Dyer. That that core of three players. Who's in your team, James? If you had to, if you had to put in your top eleven, what are you looking at? It's got to be Joe Hart. Um, it's a shame Jack Butland uh, was injured shortly before the tournament because I'd have really liked to see him maybe push Joe Hart for the number one spot. I think Joe Hart can be a bit of a hothead. He can lose his call cool in the most. You know, the moments you really need him to be uh, steely nerve, icy nerves. Um, I'd go for Joe Hart in goal, though. You know, uh, my centre-back, uh, I'd love to see Phil Jack. He's, I don't know if he's made it into this squad. Uh, he's, not, he's not. He's not. He's a tough so choice. Chris Smalling and Gary Cahill, then, isn't it? It's got to be. Mm-hmm. Either yep. Eric, maybe Eric Dyer uh, filling in. Uh, and Danny John Stones. Uh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah ball-playing defender of the future who can't seem to get it right at Everton uh, right now, but hopefully he'll kick on, even if it is somewhere else, unfortunately. Sorry, Everton fans, but, you know, that's the realism of football, isn't it? Uh, as a Villa fan, we know our stars are purchased and uh, paraded elsewhere, such as one James Milner, who uh, the stats say is one of Europe's best players. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we knew, we knew it. As Villa fans, we always knew it. <laughs> I mean, I love him. He, he's very possibly my favourite footballer in the world, James Milner. I mean, if if I find the article that with the the relevant statistics, I will definitely link it into the post with this podcast. But he was up there, you know, with the Ibrahimoviches and the Chevys and everyone. He was he's been killing it. He's uh, set a precedent that is, you know, for the last ten years for a midfield player, and it's gone un- unnoticed by everyone almost. I feel. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those players that I think everyone says is underrated. And the new question is, is he actually underrated if everyone rates him? But at the same time, <laughs> yeah, he's just such a hard worker. You know, he can t- pick, up, pick up any position. And I'd love to see him in that England midfield. Yeah, absolutely. If only if only you get some vague uh, Aston Villa presence in there. And uh, the opposite of that, in a year with a Mark Noble and a Danny Drinkwater, is that Jack Wilshire has absolutely walked into the team. He has, yeah, absolutely. Well, the, no. okay. So, well, this circles back to our this circles back to our discussion of earlier, doesn't it? How do you choose, James? Do you choose do you choose on form or do you choose on class? Uh, I mean, if you're choosing unbiased and you know with a fair approach to form, you're choosing a Mark Noble, aren't you? But, but then you're, aren't you also choosing a Jermaine Defoe? Ex- yeah, exactly. It's a I wanted Jermaine Defoe to make it because he's been gunning away the Premier League. But do you chuck out a Daniel Sturridge or a, you know a Marcus Rashford for that? Well, exactly. So this is the question: is you know, is forms temporary, class is permanent, right? It's the, yeah, it's the absolute impossible question. Uh, if you take a Jack Wilshere, you are not taking someone who deserves a spot. But if you're taking a Mark Noble, you're not taking a Jack Wilshere, are you? Yeah. It's that impossible question. Yeah. Same goes for uh, England's mighty captain, Wayne Rooney, who yeah. hasn't done much, but he's still there. Yeah, very t- yeah, it's a very tough one, Wayne Rooney. I mean, you know, England's England's got. Is he in your team, James? We we kind of abandoned where your team was at, <laughs> got as far as the defence. Oh yeah, but uh, um, yeah, I will go back. Uh, it's got to be a Danny Rose and Cole, basically Tottenham. Danny Rose, uh, Danny Cole. Rose, Cole uh-huh. Walker, amazing, uh, amazing wing back, full back. So you can you know uh-huh. they can defend and attack. They can replace wingers. They can even play as wingers if you really want. Um, Midfield, James Milner. Um, I'm not sure about Jordan Henderson. Um, he is a bit rickety. Um, he just, If you haven't read about Jordan Henderson, he's, he's going to suffer constant pain for the rest of his life. So I wouldn't put him in just because I feel a bit sorry for him. <laughs> uh, Jack, mate, Jack Wilshire, because he, he's a good player. Um, uh-huh. I really want to say Michael Brighton, but he's not there. And this is, you know, this is another annoying thing. He's not there. And why isn't Michael Brighton there? Why isn't yeah, no Michael Brighton? Really, no wide players. Uh, uh, well, not yeah. many wide players, really, in this. My mind wants him to say a winger, but 
that's why I went to Danny Rose and Kyle Walker <laughs> because I don't think we've got any. Well, exactly. Uh, which is really a sort so of far. Massive... You, you haven't mentioned either of Tottenham's two whiskets, uh, Eric Dyer and Deddy Alley, their midfield. Again, I was going to get onto them because I, we had no wingers out to replace it with a defensive and attacking midfielders. You're going to run Eric, out of players yeah. soon, though. You've already given us three midfielders. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> this is a. I don't even know. Oh. It's hard. It's too hard to choose. <laughs> Everyone, I feel, except the Wayne Rooney has a place in that team. Amazing place. So Jamie Vardy, someone who can play on the wing, perhaps, but I'd yeah. rather see him as a striker. Uh, it is a very hard question, so I'm going to pass the book to you. I feel <laughs> that's a tough question. I don't. I don't know. I I'm not actually a very. I'm not of someone who thinks that we should pick solely based on form. I think you should pick on system. You know that oh, you should have some kind of clear idea of what kind of system you're going to play and i loved seeing there was a friendly that england played against germany uh, a couple of months back before the tournament great comeback came back from two nil down uh, to win three two of course and it was this wonderful pressing performance and it was really led by the tottenham players and the liverpool players so obviously the guys who've learned under Maurizio pochettino at tottenham and the guys who've learned under jürgen klopp at liverpool uh, to really push hard really be always be looking to get the ball high up the field um, I'd like to see lots of those Tottenham and Liverpool players uh, packed in. And I think Jamie Vardy would fit in that as well because he always does that hard-working thing. Yeah, I mean, we won't bring character into question, but on a purely footballing basis, uh, Jamie Vardy is someone who, if he performs to the standard that he has performed this year, England may just blow away everyone they face. Yeah. Um, if they so, can play like that Leicester team. Well, let's talk about who could possibly stop the free lines. Not that anyone ever could. Uh, <laughs> no. Who else is on the list? Well, Wales will be first. <laughs> that was not where I thought you were going to go with that. <laughs> Wales are first up and could deal a massive dent to England being the second team they face out of a group. A team that will want to make an absolute statement. They, Gareth Bale, yep. first thing he said after Especially winning the England. League was why not win the Euros and how I'm with it. Why not? Um, Gareth Bale surely has to be considered one of the world's greatest players. And he's in a Wales team that have an absolute dynamite chemistry. Never say die. Uh, Joe Ledley come back from a broken leg last month uh, to play for this Wales team now in this European Championship just because it's the time Wales. It's Wales's time. This is the best shot they'll ever have. At, uh, winning an international tournament because of just because of the relative small size of the country, there's not a huge talent pool. Um, yeah. yeah, they could if they play to the way we know and Ellis knows, who's not here today, that they play uh, with the, one of the world's best players. They can really damage England, who will have to really scrap to get out of their group if they uh, fall to Wales. It might just pick up a win against Slova- uh, Slovakia and uh, Russia. You know, it's yeah, quick, be quick, tribute, quick tribute here to our host, uh, co-host, uh, Ellis Stanford. Uh, unfortunately, couldn't make it today uh, for reasons of illness. So hope Ellis, Ellis feels better. Yeah, get well and, soon, man. Uh, uh, you'll enjoy Wales, hopefully, qualifying with England. Yeah, if absolutely. not well, qualifying uh, in the stead of England. So this is the thing about the Euros, obviously, isn't it, this year, uh, which is that it's been an expanded tournament. It's been expanded to 24 teams. And so the teams that go reason, through... Yeah are the uh, top two top two teams in each group, but also four of the... I think that's it, four of the teams who come third who have the most wow, points. I didn't even know that. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> so that means that the playing field is truly open. Yeah, it is. You There are some pretty ridiculous calculations going around that you might you only have to score one goal in the first group stage, you know, to get through, or, you, you know, you might get through just three draws or something. You know, there's a lot going around. Yeah, uh, as we said, it's the year of the underdog and... Uh, there are teams out there that will be looking to put a real bite into the big players in this tournament. Romania start against France at eight o'clock tomorrow to kick off the tournament. France, you know, are a team that should, you know, they're the hosts. They've got an amazing team. And of course they've got, you know, the tragic events that have happened in the city they're playing yeah. in, backing them. This is their, this is their story. Um, hopefully no one, you know, I don't want to be a party pooper, uh, but if England aren't to win it, I want it to be France just because they've got an amazing team uh, su- supplanted by English Premier League stars, Dimitri Payet and N'Golo Kante, two amazing players, two yeah, gifted and what's, players. Uh, what's crazy to think is that neither N'Golo Kante uh, nor Dimitri Payet before this season, and possibly not even now, 
uh, would be considered as first-choice midfielders for France. Incredible. These are two um, amazingly gifted players. It shoots the entire scouting system of football in the face um, that these yeah. two players are performing at the highest level for the hosts of the European Championship. Amazing yeah, stuff. They've, they've got a great, great talent pool. Uh, obviously, Paul Pogba is the man who is set to be um, set to be the star of the tournament, uh, the great Juventus yeah, midfielder, course. famously released for free by of Alex course. Ferguson. <laughs> just and, get uh, that little there's... jab in there uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a story that really plagued uh, from about 2007 to about 2012 that they kind of were dodging getting him and they let him go yeah I, I mean it could strange. be it's crazy it could be it could be the thing that arguably is the biggest blow to Ferguson's legacy I'd have said is that uh, that he let yeah. me go but um... I'll go for that yeah and I bought someone like a, a Bebe <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I wouldn't. I don't know. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. I think Jason Park was in there, and you know, he's played in a two. Fine player, Jason <laughs> Park. Probably not. Paul <laughs> uh, what is West but, Brown? Vince. <laughs> <laughs> but other great, uh, you know, I've plenty of other great te- players in this French team. Um, you know, obviously up front, we've got uh, Anthony Martial, be familiar to everyone, yeah. uh, as well Olivier Giroud and uh, Antoine Griezmann, the Atletico yeah, striker. On paper, this is a team that immediately looks better than England. Yeah, um, yeah, I think... There's not, you know, Germany can say that as well. There's not much you can say weaknesses in France, possibly that defence. Um, you know, there's a couple of guys who are kind of ageing in that defence. I think Patrice Evra is still, still <laughs> yeah, first respect. Uh, yeah, there's a... Uh, at least they've got N'Golo Kante, you know, to patch up that defence, that defensive midfield, that bite. Um there's not much more that they can hope for and hope their attack really does score more goals than they let in, especially in a group of teams that will like want to, you know, real have go for the jugular, a Romania, mm-hmm. a Switzerland, and another Albania. It does look on paper <laughs> one, of easiest, one of the easiest groups ever, um, but we all know France have a history of slipping up in these groups. They do. I mean, they've already, they already got, they seem to have already got their team, team meltdown out the way before the tournament. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the uh, <laughs> quarterly team meltdown. Oh, what a, so what a crazy story this was for anyone who didn't know. Uh, Kareem Benzema, uh, the Real Madrid striker, and who would normally, <laughs> normally <laughs> have been crazy. an automatic shoe-in, has effectively been banned from the French team for his impossible involvement in blackmail over the sex tape uh, of his teammate Mathieu Valbuena. Um, <laughs> I mean, you don't want to speculate too much. Apparently what's happened is that uh, some acquaintances of Benzema uh, came, came blackmailed Valbuena over the existence of, of a sex tape. Uh, well, and... it is very small. It wouldn't be very hard for Benzema to kind of blackmail Valbuena. Uh, but... uh, Benzema acted as a mediator, if you ask him, in which he was just trying to help out his mate, or a accomplice, if you ask other people. Um, we render no judgment here on 7500 to Holt. Uh, we're just glad that this kind of thing happens. But he did it. Let's be honest. There's no <laughs> So when the French light will no please come after you, be a terrible jury. I disassociate myself from the comments. Well, when someone's being blackmailed, he's like, yeah, I've just been a meditator, you know, I'm being a mediator. I'm uh, in between. No, you're really not. I don't feel, um, unless he's just an idiot. Uh-huh. It's just, you know, wound up in this. But yeah, uh, the you know, it's not our judgment to pass, is it? But it is absolutely hilarious so, um, that these two people with yeah. ba- you know, bags of money I've managed to get involved in something like this. You know, it does always seem to be people with bags of money who get involved in stuff like this. It's always that money chase, that dollar chase. And we thought we had it bad with Gabby. <laughs> There's nowhere near the Benzema scale. <laughs> but yeah, uh, France should be winning this and another team yeah. that should be winning a Germany. Absolutely. Yeah, let's move on to the efficient machine. No blackmail scandals in the German team. The world champions. The only scandal mm-hmm. is how good that team is. Even without yep. someone like a Marco Royce in it, um, you know he's constantly injured on the eve of these tournaments. But yeah, Mario Goetze, Mesut Özil, Manuel Neuer, who's you know completely re-engineered the goalkeeper position. Absolutely incredible, this Germany team. Um, they're amazing to watch. Um, it's really a national a national machine. 
Yeah, so they're looking to repeat um, well what the French did. Understand? The French nineteen ninety eight, I think, won the World Cup, and then two thousand won the Euro won the Euro. And the Spanish uh, team, they did. Yeah. I think the Spanish did the other way round. They did it the other way round. Yeah, uh, they did it the other way round. Yeah, two thousand eight and yes, they come almost an utter dominance by European teams. Uh, well, of course, European teams are the only teams that play in the Euros, but yeah, on the world scene, it's amazing how they really looked up. Um, yeah, so I mean, this German team. Um, I don't know, it's so hard to find any weaknesses in the German team. Always so hard that's to find mainly, it might be because there is none on paper, there is no real weaknesses there. They've got a goalkeeper that can play as a centre back or a defensive midfield, should he, on a whim, should he choose to. Um, they've effectively got 12 people, uh, 12 people outfield, um, should he choose. They can play a very high line with a very athletic and talented goalkeeper. Yeah, I think the only thing you could say is that they struggling oddly, struggling at the moment for fullbacks. Mm. Uh, so Emery yeah. Chan, um, uh, I don't actually know how to say his name. Emery Chan, Emery Chan. Um, <laughs> I, I, I say Chan. I say Chan. The man with the excellent hair um, <laughs> from Liverpool. Yeah, I, I know um, that. Uh, uh, yeah, amazing. Great qualities as a midfielder, and uh, at the moment, oddly, seems to be kind of being pressed into a fullback role. Um, and of course, the problem is that they've lost Philip Lahm, who was the you know the the talismanic uh, right back slash midfielder that they had, uh, who captained captain the team to glory uh, in 2014 yeah. World Cup, and he's retired. And they've struggled to fill the gap. Of course, Emre Can uh, is a. <laughs> Germany's very own Leandro Bakuna, a utility man who seems to play anywhere and everywhere, similar to Philipp Lahm, as you said, that talismanic defender who led those two that team to great success and uh, yeah. great performances in every in the World Cup. They didn't even win uh, when uh, Spain won it. Uh, Germany did quite well in that tournament. So oh, I just so... want to I just want to bring up that you really have just con... <laughs> Leandro Bakuna. You have compared him to Philipp Lahm. That, uh, more that so is... because he plays where. <laughs> He plays in those positions. It's it's he does, Leandro who's there. Spot on. Uh, I think there are minor, <laughs> there are minor differences between the two. There uh, are close similarities, but very major differences. Uh, so I will point out know. as a, as a swift detour. Let's just point out that uh, Leandro Pacuna, another man who is starring on the international stage. <laughs> Do you remember what team, James? Uh, I can't say it. I'm very. <laughs> di- <laughs> it is a t- it, it's a name of a drink. Um, yes, he is starring with. The Grand Nation of Curacao. Curacao, uh, there it is. I, I believe Amazing so. He just stormed, stormed to a 7-1, also another 7-1 <laughs> victory, uh, over the US Virgin Islands. Uh, Curacao, I think, better, better known previously as the Netherlands Antilles Islands. Well, I mean, it isn't very hard, is it? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit, I didn't even know uh, that Leandro Bacuna... I've, I've, I assumed he was still in the Dutch national setup. Well, yeah, I mean, the US Virgin Islands have a population of 103,000 people, so they really can't put together a great football no, team. No. But yeah, um, our Leandro Vacuna, um, he's true. there's a lot of players going for Curacao uh, recently. I remember there was this amazing post on Reddit uh, about a, a guy from the Cur- from Curacao who, was, who compiled a list of its recent football in history where loads mm-hmm. of uh, Dutch players with that ancestry are choosing to play for Curacao altogether. And it could be something yeah. to watch out for in the future. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah very interesting. Similar situation to the um, England Jamaica. If you ever want to look yeah, up a yeah, list of definitely uh, players you could have played for Wes Jamaica. Morgan. <laughs> Great. Amazing story about Wes Morgan is a Leicester fan going absolutely ape shit on Twitter about why Wes Morgan wasn't picked for the England squad when in fact he had played <laughs> and been capped several times for the Jamaican national team. I uh, I had to correct my my barber <laughs> when I went for my recent haircut. I had to correct my barber when he said he didn't understand why Wes Morgan was in the team. And I delicately <laughs> suggested that it might be because he's a Jamaican. And, well, uh... we all know uh, the dodgy antics of one Diego Costa. He was captured <laughs> for a Brazil team than to turn his back and go to Brazil. And that was allowed for whatever reason uh, to move to Spain. And for an excellent segue, that's a wonderful link, James. Let's talk about Spain, <laughs> who will not be yeah, featured uh... Diego Costa because they haven't taken him along. 
Excellent stuff. Uh, Diego Costa is one of, I believe, one of Adam's most hated footballers as well for his antics on the pitch and off the movies, uh, turning back on his Brazil to play for Spain. He won't be featuring for the team that regularly plays without a striker, so he's probably not needed anyway. But what's Spain's style of football looking like now after the notorious tiki-taka? It's difficult. I mean, arguably, it's still the notorious tiki-taka. Um, so, obviously, the great the great duopoly of uh, Xavi and Iniesta uh no longer commanding spain in the way that they used to um but they i mean still if you look at the spanish squad it is a ridiculous array of talents uh it's a a forest of talent yeah it's it's insane you know this french side was is pretty amazing in its depth but there are there are positions where you look at this french side and you think well they've only got one option perhaps that options you know and then beyond that, perhaps not not so much that it's great. The Spanish op literally every single position on the field, you know, I mean, just look at the back, you know, David De Gea or Iker Casillas, you know, would you like the Manchester United goalkeeper or would you like the Real Madrid goalkeeper? Yeah, I mean, uh, Iker Casillas, uh, I'm not sure what happened to him. He did fall a bit off the map because it's now uh, Keylor Navas, uh, famed for his heroics at the uh, 2014 World Cup who's a Real Madrid keeper now, but Ike Casillas is still a massive presence uh, now playing for Porto. Uh, he's been in Spain for as long as I can remember. As long as I've been following football, he's been there. But there's also David De Gea, um, incredible, incredible shot stopper, very talented goalkeeper, maybe not the best in the world, but certainly someone you wouldn't turn your nose about having in your team, in any team in the world. Maybe there's only one team in the world he could not get into. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this Spanish team, yeah, as again, just incredible midfield uh, as ever. Um, so, you know, we're looking at players of the calibre of David Silva, Cesc Fabregas, you know, going to be running that midfield. Um, great defenders, great fullbacks as well. Um, you know, and um, I, I suppose the only question mark might be up front. Still seems to be some questions about exactly which, which person yeah. is going to be playing up front for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, a Spain team may be better going with stri- strikers formation just because of the wealth of talent available to them in midfield. Uh, I can't really choose a, sh- a main striking threat for Spain, as weird as it sounds. I'm still stuck in the world of a Fernando Torres being up front for Spain. Yeah, it's <laughs> difficult. It's so I mean, weird. Spain have... Yeah, so Torres um, Torres played very well for Atletico but they, uh, this season, but they haven't decided to take him along. So the guys they're taking along instead are Alvaro Morata, who's had a great season for Juventus, and uh, Artis Adaris uh, from Athletic uh, Bilbao, Okay. Uh, who are both going along to Spain. But yeah, as again, you know, Spain managed to win win the Euros without even playing a properly recognised striker. They just played Cesc Fabregas as a as a striker and that seemed to work for them anyway so yeah incredible stuff and uh another team in the mediterranean basin that will look to make an impact is uh and the departing antonio conte and his italian team uh with uh giacomo bonaventura uh it's a wealth of another wealth of talent but they just aren't kicking on it's very similar to a france uh lorenzo insigne um Giacomo Bonaventura, I believe the very lackadaisical Ricardo Montalivo has made the team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Schiffer, a, a tricky the, one because um, Italy have been been relying on some aging stars for a long time. So yeah. finally, uh, I believe Andreas Pirlo has finally uh, finally dropped off. As has well, I mean, he's he's just not playing for them. I should say. Yeah, <laughs> <He's> <laughs> not actually, don't don't weep, everyone. Uh, and also uh, Francisco Totti, of course. Yeah, of course. Is he is he in this Italian team or no? He can't be sure. I don't believe so. Uh, oh Francesco, my God! Sorry, I've, yeah. I've mispronounced that. <laughs> it's all right, but um, yeah, Gianluigi Buffon. Uh, is he's still going? <laughs> he is um, the the immortal Gianluigi Buffon. It's annoying. Swear, thing. Yeah, I swear he was the Italian goalkeeper when I started paying attention to football. Exactly the same as one Ike Cassiusen, and uh, when Gianluigi Buffon retires, his namesake Gianluigi Donnarumma of AC Milan will be taking his place. Yeah. Um, another incredible goalkeeper. So it's Italy of uh, they're 
And there needs to be no story that uh, emulates a Game of Thrones where people are vying for it. There's just one heir to this throne, and uh, that's uh, Donnarumma. So Italy have a very solid team. It's just a, they do play, play a bit boring counter-attacking yeah. football under uh, Antonio Conte, but they can. It's Italy are Italy, and they will do damage when they're given the chance. They just could not do it in the 2014 yeah. World Cup. It's solid. Um... You know, and solid solid teams threaten. Solid teams do threaten. A little bit of a debate again, I think, up front. I think uh, it looks like Pella, uh, the uh, Southampton striker, has won out the battle to start up front. Don't know what happened to Mario Balotelli. Doesn't seem to be... No, uh, he faded. Um, following a Milan over the past year, he has been one of their highlights, but it's been a horrible year. Um, no one's scored many goals. They haven't played good football. They didn't qualify for Europe. And they're only that you know only a few of their players are going, and it's uh, Bonaventura and Disciglio who are the best players in that team. And uh, yeah, um, Balotelli is faded uh, from the grace of it, of uh, European football, and maybe off to China. But it's a shame because he really did make a mark on England, especially in the last tournament. And, yeah, uh, yeah, painful memories, painful memories. Yes, yeah, exactly. And. Uh, <laughs> There's a, there's two teams that are worth talking about next. It's the two islands, Northern and Republic, mm-hmm. uh, managed by O'Neill and O'Neill, Mike, Michael and Martin, respectively. Absolutely. Uh, so let's shall we talk about again then the only Aston Villa presence uh, in the Euros. <laughs> Kieran Clark is an absolute uh, talismanic defender for the Republic of Ireland. A massive presence in their centre back. It's a very close knit squad. Um, they're in a bit of a tricky group. We can't lie. There with Christian Benteke's Belgium, along with you know Romelo Lukaku, Eden Hazard, a number of t- you know it's a FIFA Ultimate yeah. Team array of talent there. Um, Italy and Sweden, they are in potentially the group of death. As uh, that you know, each team there has a star, except the Republic of Ireland. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, of course, of Sweden. Italy have Buffon. They've got you can choose, and Belgium, the entire squad. You've got Vincent Kompany. Uh, Thibaut Courtois, uh, too many players. To, the entire squad, Axel Witzel, number of players. Just Belgium should be up there as well. But we're talking about Ireland, and maybe they can do something. Maybe not. But uh, the Republic certainly, if they're right off, I don't see why they can't just uh, play to the best of their ability if the expectations are low. Yeah, I mean, you know, the example for all the various small sides that are in this tournament. Uh, sorry, Ireland. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't think it would be unfair to say that you know they're not the first. But everyone would look to the example of Greece, wouldn't they? The ridiculous, yeah, exactly. ridiculous uh, triumph of Greece in the European Championships. Incredible, a, a uh, team of no names that won the tournament. Uh, no names uh, play very solid defensive football and uh, scrape your wins, and that's what Ireland can do. Ireland, Ireland are really well organised. They're hard working. Uh, they've got Shane Long up front and. There is no one who runs as long as as hard as Shane Long. <laughs> no one at all. I know Villa fans will know him very well from the multiple times he's scored against them. Yeah, uh, exactly. And Southampton and even Hull. Uh, Northern Ireland, uh, Ireland's Irish counterpart to the <laughs> north, uh, are in a group involving Germany, Poland and the Ukraine. Uh, I don't see any reason why they can't come second in that group, to be completely honest. Um, it's not the world's hardest group. I could uh, think of one name that might on. stop it. Lewandowski, surely. Of course. Lewandowski. Poland's main hitman, uh, Robert Lewandowski, is uh, a major feature for this Polish team. Uh, maybe they can maybe they can uh, sneak into second and hopefully get that third place. I don't really see Ukraine making an impact. They never really do at this stage. But then again, this is a year of the underdog, as we've said. Surely Absolutely, I mean... Look, huge, huge achievement by Northern Ireland to get to it. And uh, yeah, absolutely. again, very much similar thing. And looking at, you know, defensively well-organised and then just hard work and, uh, you know, hope that they squeeze squeeze past. And uh, it's not too quick to write off Northern Ireland here, I hope, Alan, because they've got their own Lewandowski in the form of <laughs> Will Grigg. They do, Will Grigg. honest, yeah. Uh, he's been on fire, and uh, they'll be certainly uh, looking to uh, make an impact. But yeah, as far as the British Isles and uh, Republic of Ireland going, it does seem a bit promising. Maybe not so much for the Republic, but Wales, England, and Northern Ireland have a shot, definitely, of getting out of their respective groups. Uh, sorry to write off uh, my, you know, my uh, family members and their Republic of Ireland, yeah, my granddad uh, and his Northern Ireland. Um, I'm sorry about. 
I'll, Sorry I'll about disagree that. slightly, and I will say that I do think uh, that the Republic have more chance of squeezing past than Northern Ireland do. Actually. So, they, you reckon the Republic can get out of a group of Belgium, Italy, and Sweden, and the Northern it's Ireland tough. can't get out of a. It is hard because but it, arguably Group but C is worse, but the Republic are better than the Northern Ireland on Northern Ireland. So the Republic, the Republic team are really well defensively organised. This is a really well drilled team uh, that they've got under Martin O'Neill and uh, yeah, you know, obviously his partner in crime, Roy Keane. <laughs> very, I think it's worth mentioning he's very close partner in crime. We won't go too much into that. Um, <laughs> Martin O'Neill did get a bit of trouble. Um, he has apologised and made a donation to a certain group and uh, it seems to have blown over, but he said some very bad, silly backwards words probably reminiscent of an episode of father ted really uh, <laughs> but yeah uh, the republic of ireland managed by the mercurial mark martin o'neill um, and roy Keane, uh maybe can make an impact you'd look to uh to wrap it up then i think that's pretty much it it's worth a mention that iceland a nation of how many people Three hundred and twenty-three thousand have qualified for the Euros with uh, glory their squad isn't bad they've got gilfie sigurdsson uh, one of the premier league's pretty decent players uh he'd fit into most teams um yeah i don't yeah, see it yeah yeah fairy, fairy tale story for iceland and uh yeah i think they're going to be everyone's everyone's second team at this tournament uh, yeah of course and uh i think a small a small wrap-up goes to uh one love ray kalanich who has made the croatia team despite <laughs> not being important enough by uh, an fa board made up of uh, newcastle board members and something board members well james i'm not gonna let you get away that easily i'm gonna make <laughs> you pin your colors to the mast so let's oh, have God. a quick round of predictions okay so should we do winners uh top scorers or should we do what first, second, and third plus top scorers? We'll do first, second, third. We'll do top scorers, and we'll do best player. And Why not? All right. What underperforming team as well? Maybe. Do you want to go for that? Um. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's try and annoy some people. Okay. Then what's your <laughs> underperforming team then, Adam? Ah, uh, my underperforming team. I'm gonna suggest. Gonna go. Little bit controversial here. I'm going to suggest that the Germans might not have quite the same hunger in them as as they had at one point. They might go out... It's not going to be much of an underperformance, but I think there might be an underwhelming performance somewhere in the quarters of the semis, and they might crash out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go for an Italy. Um, they should expect to get out of that group, but we know from two years previously that like they can't get out of a group and the chance is pretty much laid to them on the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a different team now, maybe, but we all know what happens. We've we've been in England. We're England fans. We know what happens when an England team looks different. It crashes out at the exact same stage, whether it's under an Italian boss man <laughs> or a, you know, a good old English lad such as Roy Hodgson. Um, it doesn't matter. Um, these national teams do kind of stick to the formula, except if you're a Greece and yeah, uh, my underperforming team is Italy. Shall we go for a top scorer? Let's go for a top scorer. Um, so what you're looking for here, as far as I'm concerned, is someone who just absolutely blitzes uh, the group stage. And I think that's going to be... Hmm, I can't look beyond Lewandowski. Just an absolute sharpshooter. Side always looks for him. It's always useful when you've just got the one man that everyone looks to to score. And uh, he's in the finishing form of his life. I'm going to be outrageous here and I'm looking directly at the group stage. I'm looking at someone like a Gareth Bale to blitz Slovakia, Russia, and maybe put one past England, qualify and score. And maybe all he has to do is score one more. If you get four or five goals, that could potentially put you in a top scoring part. This is a wide open tournament. I I don't think we're expecting a particularly high scoring tournament. I think there's going to be a lot of, unfortunately, I think there's going to be a lot of defensive football. Um, yeah, there's a lot of underdogs in this tournament, which means there's going to be a lot of 1-0 wins, um, 1-0 scrapes. So, yeah, um, I'm looking at someone maybe like a... Uh, so you have to look no, no further than a, maybe a Cristiano Ronaldo, as Latan, or a Gareth Bale to do this. Uh, you've mentioned a very good candidate in Lewandowski, and uh, why not? I do agree with you. But I have to be outrageous and different, and I have to represent Ellis Sanford, who isn't here, and say Gareth Bale. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Okay. Well, let's go for the big ones then. Let's go for first, second, and third. Well, third place, why not England? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, I was actually going to say England as well. I was going to say yeah. the free lines. Free lines are going to come third. That's respectable. Um, yeah. I think that would yeah. be that would be a success. I think everyone yeah, would be ma- happy. An amazing success. I mean, after disappointing in the last kind of twenty-five tournaments, the last t- tournament England really did any good at was maybe the nineteen ninety World Cup, which I wasn't even alive to see. A bit harsh um, on the ninety-six semi-final performance. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's uh, very similar. Um, the nineties England uh, was the last time we did very well at the tournament before f- falling to Argentina in '98, <laughs> before being booted out cruelly in 2002 by Brazil and uh, Ronaldinho, um, before yeah, falling to Portugal think, and Portugal. <laughs> just think this side might have enough in it. Got enough young players with desire in it. Um, oh, I hate that word, desire. What should I say? It is it? true. Um, there's a lot of. <laughs> There are a lot of players who have attitude in this England squad. Um, there's a Deli Ali, there's a yeah. Jamie Vaughan, and between it's them. Just, yeah, I just think there's a little bit more of a plan, a little bit more variety in this team. They might be able to make it through, but I think eventually they'll be undone, um, probably just by lack of defensive quality. Um, but, you know, and then it'll be full steam ahead, hopefully to 2018, 2018 World Cup. All right then, so who's going to be in the final, James? Who are we looking so, at? It's got to be France for second place. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are let their national story this year has consisted of a tra- you know a tragedy. We don't have to speak about that, but it is staring this tournament right in the face. They're playing for more than just you know winning this tournament. They're playing for the national pride. They're playing to complete this national story that started you know with tragic events not too long ago in last last October. Uh, this team, this team has a personal connection to it with the sister of Anton Griezmann as well. Um, they're playing. They're going to be playing their hearts out to represent the best of what their nation can give and really make an impact on the world stage once again. Uh, France will make this tournament. They may not win it, but they they will be surely given a strong shot by the uh, you know the story. And the, there's only one nation that can that is surely guaranteed to be in this final. And that has to be France. It would be a major disappointment if they were to follow you know, the past and crash out early. I feel France have got a massive shot at making this. Mm-hmm. And who, well, I'm, I, on, I just had to, to just had to double check which I knew what side of the draw uh, everyone was on. Oh, God, so I wasn't going to suggest two teams. <laughs> I wasn't going to suggest two teams that would, uh, that would not make it through. So I'm just quickly scanning my wall charts here. Um, but for my second, I think I'm going to go with Spain. I think, Ooh. yeah, lots, lots and lots of quality in that side. Don't think they're ever going to be easily beaten. You know, they're going to enjoy 70% of possession, whoever they go up against. And uh, you can't score against a team if they don't give you the ball, ever. Um, of course you can't. No, but Jose Mourinho's philosophy is that you can uh, hold on to the ball, maybe. Uh, maybe make, let, make, make mistakes. Not Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola. Jose's the opposite, and that's let them make the mistakes, I believe. <laughs> probably got it all yeah, I'm not that either of them is managing them. <laughs> yeah, no. I've just went off this book that I got that had 100 pages and told me about formation, so <laughs> I'm quoting these managers. Okay, Spain, yeah, yeah Spain, the, you know, you can't let the other team score, obviously, if like, you have the ball. Yeah. Um, the pressure's but, um, on. Yeah, definitely Spain for me. Uh, I, think, I think they're going to be But second. you've got a right, winner. And who, uh, well, I'll go straight into the winner then. Yeah, I can't see beyond France. Can't see beyond France. Excellent. So, uh, well, it's laid on a. It's a fairy tale, to be completely honest, um, for them to win this tournament. It has been a bad year. But yeah, they've got an amazing squad, underdog players. They've got that spirit. They've got Dimitri Payet, technical wizard, um, and Golo Kante in the midfield. Those are they're probably their two best, one of their two best players as well. These two people who wouldn't have featured ever for them. You know, they didn't have a dream of attending this tournament and they will be able to represent it to the best. But yeah, why France then for you? Uh, I think it is a huge thing to be at home. Um, You know, I think that that's going to be a huge thing, the crowd support. Um, And I think they're just clicking and they're right. And as I said, the one thing that stops France is their, you know, team meltdown. They seem to have got the team meltdown out the way early. (laughs) Um, You know, and they've just got so many great players, so many great players this year. and I just think that on the whole, they're, they're the most ba- well-balanced team of all of them. 
of course. Uh, oh, and they may be the, they may be the only team, and I'm I'm really hoping that this is going to happen. They may be the only team who really looks to come out and just blow away the opposition. Yeah, um, as you previously mentioned, the defense is a bit patchwork. Yeah, so I they're going to go for the goals, and everyone else is going to scrape it away, and they're going to be in front of their own fans. The fans are going to be screaming them on. Um, you know, I think, just think they've, and you know, they've got so many players who just love to get forward, love to score goals. And uh, I'm going to be optimistic and say attacking football is going to carry the tournament. Yeah, I mean, you can't look past them, can you, to at least get into the final? But for me, there's another team um, mm-hmm. that I can't look past, and that is Belgium. Okay, really wow, should, okay. Should be their time. The dark horses. A- absolute firepower in that team. Uh, Christian Benteke has had a, people say he's had a bad season uh, for Liverpool, but I think it's far from the truth. Whenever he's been called upon, he has scored. And if he's put up with a uh, one Romelu Lukaku, surely they can break down every single wall in the world. Um, that's without mentioning one, Eden Hazard, as well as a, a very good goalkeeper, Thibaut Courtois. Hazard um, for me is a dark horse there. I think if, if Hazard decides that he's going to turn it on, then, yeah, and he has he has in the last couple of games after a terrible terrible season. Yeah, horrible season League, for him. Uh, he looked like he just woke up one day and said, "Right, I'm back." Um, <laughs> and that's a scary scary prospect for any any defender in the world. Yeah, um, you don't want to face this Belgian team when they're playing good. Uh, it depends if they can play good. If they play to the way that they're on paper, it suggests they win it. Don't know. Uh, I feel anyway. They've got some great players in that team, great players who should be playing for the best teams in the world if they aren't already. Um, I can think of maybe two up-front people stuck in uh, the city of Liverpool who could be kicking on for these very massive teams. Uh, And that might happen after this tournament if they have a good one, Uh, especially one Benteke who isn't really used by in uh, Jurgen Klopp's uh, Liverpool team. But yeah, I mean, I'm going to go for Belgium because they look... That on paper, to me, they look like a, a, fa- a complete fantasy football team. Okay, yeah, it's a brave choice, but uh, I respect <laughs> it. Yeah, and of course, good luck to one Kieran Clark. Uh, do your best to yep. come back to Aston Villa, and hopefully you'll perform well. And same goes to Brad Guzan. If you've got that last season past you, and you do well, why not come back and play well for us if you're stopping spin chewing gum on the pitch and all that rubbish? Yeah, but yeah. I, mean, I, I saw someone, <laughs> let's just hope we don't get a Vlar-like situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's no. uh, kick it on, kick it on in this summer, and kick it on. Or into, actually, carry on I mean, into the autumn. We could have sold Vlar after that World Cup, couldn't we? We should have to Manchester United for a, a pricey sum. Oh well, another day. <laughs> another... <laughs> Discussion yeah. for another day. All right. Exactly. Well, it's been a pleasure to be back on on the pod, my lord. Yeah, it's been great, haven't you? It's a shame we couldn't have Ellis because he'd have been certain, uh, certainly been up for some chat about the Welsh team more. Uh, we're not experts on it, unfortunately, Ellis. So we have to really rely on just the names of Gareth Bale <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron Ramsey, a uh, known, known uh, Arsenal player who was injured once. And uh, there's Ashley Williams as well. Apart from that, my experience with the Welsh team has gone. And unfortunately, we can't offer you that today because our, our Welshman isn't here. But yeah, I hope we've represented your team well, Ellis. And I hope uh, this this has been a bit different for you and you've enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure having you, Adam. It's been a pleasure speaking about Euro and uh, Copper America and Tony Shear. And, uh, you know, we can't wait to come back next season with hopefully some good stuff about Aston Villa's championship campaign. So yeah, uh, three lines might bring it home. Let's hope so. But it will be a cracking tournament. So we're full of neutrals. If you're listening from America, please do watch this tournament because hopefully it'll blow your socks off. So thank you very much for listening to the fifth episode of uh, On The Pod, My Lord. Uh, it'll be up soon. Uh, on the site you'll listen to you'll listen to the whole cast as well we maybe might join them together because they've been produced on the same day but it's been a pleasure thank you very much